The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. We're really happy to have you with us. I say that a lot, but I really mean it. I've told you that before. I'm glad you're here, and we're happy to have you along. <laughs> Thank you for, for just listening in on our phone call while we ranted each other for an hour. That's, that's pretty much what we've done here, yeah. It is, it is. You know, it, it's uh, progressed from Skype just to, to phone calls, you know. That's how Todd and I share information, and, you know, that's, uh, yeah, you're just kind of listening in along with us, so uh, happy to have you. Uh, it'd be it'd be fun to have, uh, you know, people on and and uh, people have asked, hey, can I just conference in? You know, of course, it doesn't always work that way, but we are working on yeah. getting increased amounts of guests as the podcast Definitely. progresses. So we've had a few good Definitely. ones and uh, looking forward to more good guests on in the future. But mm-hmm. we've got uh, a lot to discuss. If there uh, hasn't yeah, been no any podcast where we've babbled on, it's going to be this one, I feel like. <laughs> Brace yourself, yeah. Take take the take the long way to work this morning, cause dang. Anyway, yeah. Take we've got two really cool we've got two really cool car debates coming up. They I noticed that you linked them up. They both are current BMW owners and really like their current BMW. Uh, but Drew is actually shopping for his older brother Jake, who wants to get into something kind of unique. And Nicole is shopping. That's right, Nicole, one of our female listeners. Thank you for that. She's going to keep her 2013 328i, but she's looking for something more aggressive on the side. That one is very exciting, and it's actually got a couple of interesting questions kind of about car culture and not even just about cars. Look forward to getting to that. And, of course, we're also doing Facebook questions. So you guys are hitting us with some great ones. I'm excited about that, too. Yes, although I think her name – I think her first name is Nakia, but uh, maybe it's Nicole. I'm not sure. Nakia, we'll go with Nakia. Well, the, the way uh, – okay. The way it's written, I, I was unsure. So anyway. All good, all good. Well, we've we're always happy when uh, when uh, the fairer sex writes to us and asks us car <laughs> car advice. I'm always stoked by that. So uh, yeah, that really stuck out. So we're happy to to uh, debate your car here. But uh, before we jump in, I wanted to talk a little bit about the autonomous age that is upon us, and increasingly so. It seems like it's just mm-hmm. warp speed. But we're all still beta testers in this grand design. Yeah. There's been so much in the news lately about a lot of companies doing the autonomous thing and unveiling an electric car or an electric slash autonomous car. And I want to start out with Lucid Motors. They're formerly named Ativa. They're up in Northern California, I believe. They recently unveiled an electric car called the Air. So it is the Air electric Mm -hmm. car. I'm not sure why it's called the Air. But okay, Uh, I'm looking at this thing online and it's hitting my hot buttons because of not just the tech. I can tell. I can tell. Yeah. But here is yeah. a unique design that is far more opulent and luxurious in the cabin than any Tesla. And the first 25 cars are slated to be right about $160,000. So this is not inexpensive. But No, it's exactly the opposite of inexpensive. It, it is. Keep going. But it's, it's representing, I feel like, uh, sort of finally, you know, this... This luxurious, unique electric car. Tesla has been, you know, appealed to that market, the early adopters already, but it is not luxurious. The interior is maybe at best a $40,000 interior. I almost feel like the Chevy yeah. Bolt is a better interior than some of the Teslas. Well, when you look at the price tag, you feel like it's better. I take your point. Well, yeah. Keep going. And, and you, you cannot ignore the price tag when you're shopping. And so, this car, if you haven't seen this, go look at Lucid Motors, the air electric car. I, again, that's a board meeting that I wasn't uh, – I didn't get a call. Let's put it that way. I wasn't in on that board yeah. meeting. But it's a 1,000 horsepower, 400-mile range. I mean, it's coming, people. They are not in production yet. Just, 2018 hmm. is when they're slated for production there. But, wow, 400-mile range. <laughs> okay. I just – I. I, I can see – look, I can see why this intrigues you, but this is a place where you and I are on opposite poles. I just I – can't, I can't get there here. I, the reason I can't get there is because this to me is it's, – it's only slightly more realistic than Faraday in concept. <laughs> but, but, but honestly, honestly, I'm looking at something that is so pre-production here. In my brain, it's almost like I already have a Tesla Model 3 in my driveway compared to where this is. 
<laughs> I can see that. I can see that. I mean, 2018, sure, it sounds great to say 2018, but I just, at, at 160 grand, look, I maybe maybe I have become this spoiled. Maybe I am this guy that is this spoiled to the cutting-edge reality of this. I mean, you're talking about beta testing. I am much more intrigued about the one that people can afford. This, to me, is going the wrong direction, and it feels, again, like vaporware. It's it's sexy vaporware. It's very sexy vaporware. If you're going to have vaporware, may as well make it sexy. The Faraday <laughs> one was just off in the weeds. This <laughs> is cool looking. Most vaporware is sexy. We'll, we'll say that. Yes. This is this is really cool looking, and it's got some you know cool ideas. But wouldn't it be amazing if we built this? And I go back to, yes, it's a concept car, and I just, at this point, don't buy it. Sure. I, I can see that. I look at it as uh, aspirational and something to attain because where would this world be without Audi R8s? You know, it's I love the R8s. May I show you to an yeah. A3, sir? You can actually afford an A3. And yeah. it's linked to the R8 in badge only. It doesn't have anything else to do with the R8. But it's sort of I'm in the brand. I'm I'm part of this thing. And that's why these Halo cars exist. Now, this is a sure. brand new car. It's a standalone car. It just, it's, it just represents the future tech. Now, it's also not really aimed at being a driver's car. It's more of a, yeah. you know, ensconce you and bathe you in luxury kind of car, which well, intrigues the daylights going, out of me for different reasons. It's going after the same market that the Tesla already goes after. And let's be candid, the same market that the, the Porsche e-tron, whatever they're calling their, I, that's the wrong name, but the, the Porsche idea is going to go after as well. It's all the folks that can spend over six figures. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that goes, I get it. And those are the people that have the money to be early adopters and say, look what I have in my garage. But I, you know, the Model 3 is far closer and far more interesting if you want to talk sexy tech that's still vaporware. It is, candidly. And then the Bolt, if you want to get one now, they were doing deliveries this week. It's like, I could mm-hmm. get an electric car that is an actual electric car that isn't this sexy. Candidly, it's not It's not going to hit the sexy hot button at all. But look at this. This exists. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm having trouble connecting personally. I'm back and forth. You know, good design can be on the most expensive item and good design can be on a lowly toothbrush. It doesn't have to be the most expensive item to have, you know, like, oh, that's a pinnacle of good design or a good concept. It's almost more refreshing when something is so cheap or something so attainable and it's so clever. I appreciate Mm -hmm. that all day long. I just, I like where this is pushing everybody. So maybe cars like this tow the rest of the Model 3s and the Chevy Bolt along into higher range and adopting features from the high end, you know, disseminating those down, distilling those down to the low end and cars that we can actually afford. But I, I'm you know, just stoked with this. It's so fresh and unique yeah. and interesting. I'm okay. just stoked. So, yeah. You know what this makes me think of, though? Mm. I, honestly, I feel like every week we are reading about a new, most of them backed by Chinese money, but not all of them, a new <laughs> electric car them. company <laughs> that is going to come out and, you know, put your year on it with their, you know, model-crushing electric car, going to be awesome. There's a part of me that goes, why haven't you and I started one of these companies yet? Apparently, <laughs> China, as in mass, is just giving out money to start electric car companies. You have a design background. We know what a car is supposed to drive like. True. You and I could stand there in in misshapen, poor-fitting suits and, and stand in front of a design that will never occur and collect a big check for saying this car is going to be awesome. Huh. I, I, would, I would sign up for that. We could really rank it in. I would sign up for that. And tease, yes. you know. Why aren't we doing this? We're building a factory somewhere in the U.S. and it's going to employ yes. 40 million people and it's new battery tech. And, oh, yeah, we failed to make some payments, oh, so... I've go, huh. I'll go you one further. We've actually bought Area 51 because it's not, there's nothing out there, really. And we're actually building our facility there because it already has the technology to be kind of hidden from people because we're so cutting edge that we needed Area 51 to protect. Huh, and, that's uh, and, true. And the design, the design you know, Paul, Paul has been in every design studio of every major automaker. He's stealing from all of them to make the ultimate car design. <laughs> people it's say, amazing. It's amazing. Front's like a it's Jag, amazing. no, a Lex, no, it's BMW. Exactly. And the rear's kind of Mercedes, no, Porsche, no. Coming. Huh. Coming in 2025 is the everyday driver electric car. It's going to cost, look, I'm just going to follow the rabbit trail. It's going to cost <laughs> 25 grand. It's going to go 600 miles. It's going to do zero to 60 in a second and a half. It's going to cradle your head because it's so quick. And it's going to be the sexiest <laughs> car you've ever seen. 
<laughs> I mean, pre- press release right now. We're going to be on, we're going to be covered tomorrow. Wall Street Journal. Everybody's going to cover us because we said we're making a cutting edge electric car. This is what this feels like to me. I can't just, wait for everybody uh, to throw their wallets at us. I, honestly, I, they're just going to. I sign will accept. Right hey. I, I I am not known for my lightning quick reflexes, but I can catch wallets. So if somebody's throwing wallets, I will make it happen. <laughs> I love your thinking. I'm completely on board. I'm just trying to figure out a, a mashup logo of all the car companies and what that would look like uh-huh. for our brand new logo. Yep. But you know what we have to do I, is think of the name of our company. Well, but I think I think the logo I think the logo should be just a perfect silver disc. It's just <laughs> <laughs> we've we've surpassed all design and branding. It's just you see the silver disc and you know. Ooh, we're in post design era, huh? We're 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 yes, we're post modern design. Design is now irrelevant. Wow, it's just a nice polished shape, and we're done. Excellent. I I'm. Thank you for listening to the podcast this evening. Get to work and, uh, here. <laughs> I've got some sketching to do here, so <laughs> there's a lot to do. Yeah. <laughs> Well, in other news, Google has uh, also officially announced their self-driving car has graduated to become its own company, and -hmm. it's called Waymo. And I spoke with a Google representative, and he told me that they had to go with Waymo, as in, you know, Waymo better than everybody else who's trying to do this. But they couldn't say Waymo better. That was too long of a URL and, you know, maybe a little bit too arrogant. So they just stuck with Waymo. What's di- what's ridiculous is that you and I individually, all we thought about this name is puns, <laughs> because I was going to say what they what the reason Google's changed the name and changed tactics, by the way, uh-huh. is that they're no longer going to make an autonomous car without a steering wheel. So the reason they're doing that is they they discovered that making cars is way more harder than they thought it was. I mean, we're both just doing stupid, stupid puns. <laughs> on it's, and on. This and is on. the this is a punny podcast. It really will be. So, that's going to crop uh, yeah, back up I, later uh, in the uh, the podcast. Mm-hmm. I feel like, uh, but you know, imagine the company that's cornered the market on mapping technology indoors and outdoors. Of course, Google Maps, True. and if you haven't heard of True. Tango, that's Google's indoor mapping technology. So they're conquering both markets, which means, good news, you can drive into your house. I don't know why that's helpful. But, well, uh, you, can, you, can drive, you can drive down the block, through the parking lot of the grocery store, and into the aisles. Hmm. Just, just, you know, you can send your car shopping. I'm not sure how that works out necessarily, true. but their, off it goes. <laughs> their Google car does look like a shopping cart, so maybe that's what they we, have in we mind. Need, I'm doing it again. We need Waymo milk. Would you go get us some milk? Waymo. We need Waymo milk and egg, Waymo. eggs. Oh, it's awful. Oh I just I can't, I can't even get through it without slurring it all to death. <laughs> anyway, it's just the jokes are terrible. There oh, they yeah, are. Yeah. So not only has Google done it, but NVIDIA has begun autonomous testing on California roads. And now Uber is testing their Volvo XC90s in mm-hmm. San Francisco as well. But... Lo and behold, their launch activities were stopped, and they're already under legal action from the California DMV because they're operating without a permit, and one of them ran a red light. So, whoops. <laughs> Sorry. Well, but did you, did you read there – was, there was further commentary in one of these articles that made me laugh where <laughs> an Uber spokesman said – look, I'm going to get this slightly wrong, but they said something along the lines of – well, I mean, we don't need a permit. I mean, I, I, I don't know what these other people are trying to put on that, that they need, you know, that they're actually doing fully autonomous, then they need a permit. That's not what we're doing. And the reason they're saying they're not doing it is because there's a guy still sitting in the driver's seat. The car's driving itself, by the way, but there's a guy sitting there. And they're saying that because there's a guy sitting there that can take over when things go catastrophic, and we've already covered that's not really uh, something that humans seem to do very well. Because there's a guy sitting there, they aren't actually autonomous and therefore don't need a permit. I love that. That makes me laugh. <laughs> That's a battle for the lawyers. That's going to be really interesting to see oh, who wins. Two, two lawyers will, will build their second and third homes. The lawyers on both sides of that equation have hit a payday that rivals the Chinese car makers building electric cars. It's that level of payday just to figure out who can sue who over whether or not you have an autonomous vehicle on the streets of San Francisco. I wonder if they start building somebody, when they wake up in the morning or if when they get to the somebody, office. Seriously, and somebody will be defining what, ma- what makes an autonomous car. If the car senses the presence of a body in the front seat, is it still autonomous? Somebody is going to argue this, and I'm going to be in the corner retching. <laughs> it's here, people. The headline is... Autonomy is here, and we're all the beta testers. So, watch yeah. out for uh, you know Volvo XC90s that are about to T-bone you, running through red lights. <laughs> I think that's the well, big but, takeaway here. 
but I, I feel like this is this is not a great analogy, but I feel like this is where high definition television was in the nineties when I first saw it. In the nineties mm. when I first saw high definition television, the commentary was this is the greatest thing, it's gonna take over. You can see it. And look, I was seeing a sample and it was amazing. But it, it's going to take over. It's going to be ubiquitous. It's going to revolutionize the market. You'll have it in your home in five years. Fifteen years later, everyone I knew actually finally had HD. Sure. Compound that. That's where we are. Yes, the technology exists, and people are figuring it out. And I think you know we are less than five years away from cars that actually can do full autonomy. Will they be on the road? Will we be allowed to have them? Will we be in traffic with them? That's where I kind of doubt it. I think the the technology versus the adaption is going to be the the huge, huge separation here with a gulf in between. So you think it's way more further away than we think it is? I do. Is that what I, you're that's why to I think say? Google took that name. Way, way more farther. Yes, <laughs> absolutely it is. No question. <laughs> see, it just uh, – the script writes itself. But here's the thing. Google Google had to see that coming too, and they went, "Nope, we're going with that anyway." I just I uh, anyway invented by people who aren't drivers or something. Yeah, the yeah. rest of us are going to rise Spe- up and speaking beat of, them with our manual it's transmission gonna, levers. It's going to be there. You go. <laughs> I took off my shift knob, and I'm now going to beat you. That is simultaneously horrifying and riotously funny to me. Yes. He's brandishing a what is that? Is that a gear stick? What's a, yeah, anyway, that's, that's a terrible. gear shift lever. We should, I've never seen we one of those. We should talk about people that want to drive. That's from an, an ancient era of archaeology. <laughs> uh, Drew has written to us uh, from uh, from New Hampshire, and he actually is kind of writing in for his brother Jake. Drew spends the first part of his uh, email here talking about that he likes the show. Thank you, Drew. We're really glad to have you with you, you with us, and also talking about how much he'd like to be an automotive journalist because clearly. That's where the money is. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> right. but, however, having said all of that. Way more his, money his, in, in his, automotive journalism. Exactly. Yeah. That's, thank, thank you for hitting that yet again. Uh, but he, uh, he and his brother currently share a BMW 540i, the, uh, the M Sport. It's the E39 chassis for those of you that are BMW geeks out there. And they love it, which of course you do. And I'm glad that you do. But his older brother, Jake, is looking for what's next, and that's why he's writing in. I like this, Drew, that, uh, that you're kind of shopping for him. By the way, everyone, Drew drives a BMW 540i M Sport, so the E39 body style. I just want to you know, level set right now a little bit. When I was 17, I was driving a rusty yeah. 1977 Jeep Cherokee. So just a mm-hmm. little level setting there. I didn't have a BMW. Well, I've never had a I BMW. Was driving, I was driving the hand-me-down. Well, we had plenty of press cars, and you do have one on order. I was I driving do. the hand-me-down uh, two-tone brown Caprice Classic. Because if you're going to get two-toned, make sure it's in brown. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was where I was. Metallic fish scale candy apple gloss coffee. Cocoa. Just, just I mean, coffee. There, there were literally, at that point in Chevy's lineup, you could get a Caprice in two different colors of beige <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> boring and has been split into two. You can exactly. Get two now you have boring. twice. Yeah, you can just decide. Yeah, and one step further, my father bought this car. I mean, it's just it's it's yeah. Here I am now with an orange rear wheel drive sports car in the snow. Times have clearly changed. <laughs> I feel very blessed. Anyway, so uh, so Jake commutes actually about an hour three times a week for a college internship, and uh, he he's looking at all kinds of things. I don't know if you thought this, Paul, but I feel like this e- this email, the stuff for Jake goes on to, into totally different directions. Yeah, it does. We have actually we have a listing of stuff he's looking at that is the I'm going to buy new, and then we have a listing of stuff he's looking at that is I want old school, unique, classic. I want to work on it, and it needs to be cheap. These are not the same, and they're both in this email. And I also love that you know Drew is using the Paul limiter against me. Of course, mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with the Paul is. limiter, is it's <laughs> it's your budget, and then it's your your okay. If I stretch, that's how much I could spend, and Guess which yes. budget I'm always going to go with. Anyway, oh, yes. so the budget that Drew says here is about ten to twenty grand, which is quite a wide mm-hmm. range. And he stops yeah. me right at twenty three thousand, which seems like yeah. you know monkeys throwing darts at a map. Why twenty three? Why did we stop there? I mean, what? What, uh, <laughs> what was that's that? That's because you really wanted to be like twenty seven or thirty, and that's why you're frustrated by twenty three. I get it. I understand. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. So yeah, it's uh, it's kind of cool because it seems like everybody in the family drives something unique. If you listen to mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. they've got uh, their family has a '63 VW Beetle, 
Their yep. dad has a 2017 Volkswagen GTI with the performance pack, and his mom's got yeah. a Land Rover, the LR2 from 2011. But Jake loves driving the old Beetle. And so mm-hmm. he goes back and forth. He drives some other cars. He likes the, the VW. He likes the old 2012 Golf TDI. Wow. Oh, but Volkswagen's buying that back. So that's out of the picture. Never mind. Yeah, that was in there. They liked it, but now that's going away. Bye-bye. But here's the other thing, though. The, the older brother, Jake, has got a 1962 Willys Jeep station wagon he is restoring. This what what warehouse does your family have, Drew? No kidding. Where are all these cars living? And can I come stay? These are the questions because clearly this is a family who's just buying cars with places to put them. <laughs> uh, because as we all know, the the, ty- the primary issues with all of us buying all the cars we want are yeah, money is part of it. But the other par- p- part of the problem is where do they go? Where do I put them? Mm-hmm. So clearly, where, where do I put the parts to make it run? Actually, yeah. Well, that's a separate issue. Uh, clearly, Drew's family's got this solved. But the two rabbit trails here for Jake are <clears throat> the new rabbit trail is how about leasing a Fiesta ST or a base Golf because we know he likes the Golf. He likes something fun to drive. That's why the Fiesta ST shows up. And then, or maybe buying a used NC Miata or a used Jeep Wrangler. That's the kind of newer category. And then the, the old category is let's go cheap and crazy and unique and fun. These are these are I'm I've got some recommendations, but I'm also kind of lost. I, I'm a bit over the all over the map, but that's because Drew and Jake are kind of all over the map here. Absolutely, yeah. But the headline for this is that Jake likes cars with well built interiors, which is also something that nobody's ever really mentioned. So I was trying to figure out the definition of that by reading this. And what I'm actually reading in there is classic and made entirely of metal. That's kind of what I read into that. <laughs> exactly. Metal and bakelite and glass. Yeah, when, when, I think, when I think a well-built interior, interior, I think something really nice with great materials. It's modern. That's not what we're talking about. We're no. talking about... I like driving the classic Beetle, and I don't get in a Beetle and go, look at this interior. I do get in a Beetle and think, this could run through a brick wall. These are separate <laughs> conversations. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I also thought about uh, Drew and Jake. you got to keep in mind, insurance is going to be tough for younger drivers and hot cars. And yeah. I'm just putting that out there. We'd love to get you into something new and hot, but your insurance bill is really going to go up. Even with mm-hmm. a brand new GTI that's not that expensive, but it is a bit of a performance car among the golfs, the golf family, and that will be reflected in your insurance bill. So I just, I thought, huh, since you're open to going backwards in time, why mm-hmm. not go find some fun cars that I think are well-built interiors because they've lasted, they're pretty durable sure, and sure. they they hold up under abuse and you can still find nice ones of all these three examples that I found well four okay. well maybe five four <laughs> maybe 12 yeah we'll get there keep going all right so about a 93 the FD generation Mazda RX-7 unmodified hmm. is going to be hard to find okay but yeah. wow manual transmission well built unique it's definitely unique it's going to stand out it's a bit of a performance car but we're going back, you know, over 20 years, so hopefully the insurance would be better on a car like that. Kind of interesting. That led me to an Acura Integra Type R from 2001 hmm. with that 1.8 liter inline four-cylinder yeah. engine, rear wing. Cool if you can find it, yeah. You can also, find it, it's clean and all that, yeah. Yeah, also hard to find, unmodified. But those interiors have held up really well and also, you know, fun to drive, even though front-wheel drive, but you're already into GTIs, yeah. so that seemed to be okay. And sure, certainly. could be interesting. And then I went to BMWs because you already like Drew's BMW, and I yeah, thought, yeah. what about an M5? The E34 generation M5 from 1991 has always mm. intrigued me for some reason, and I found you one with only 108,000 miles. It's a five-speed. $21,000. This thing has 315 horsepower. That was hmm. gobs then, and it's still that a lot. That was a pile now. then. It's it's still decent, but you're right. It was a pile then. It's so funny to see how spoiled we are to horsepower now. But yeah, keep going. It's, it's totally unique. And then, you know, of course, that led me to second generation M3. So the E36 generation M3. Those are interestingly mm-hmm. inexpensive these days. They, they are. That's true. They yeah. haven't really yeah, yeah. caught on in terms of skyrocketing value. Most of them have 150 plus thousand miles, but 
you know, okay, if you like to wrench on them, they're still great driver's cars. And yeah. because it's from, again, 20 years ago, I think it might be easier on on uh, insurance. And so I say all of these because, you know, I'm going backwards. But these were cars that yeah. I loved, that I still love driving. They're still great driver's cars. You'd have to search, though, to get nice ones, really clean, nice ones that you're really proud of. But maybe it's a nice balance between, you know, lower insurance bill and still having something kind of fun and hot. And, yeah. you know, it kind of fits well, into the, the eclectic nature of everything here. So that's kind of where I'm at. That is, that is the great thing about the older stuff. You go far enough back and it's – I hate to say it this way, but it's worth so little that the insurance isn't much. Now, I will say this. Look, we're talking about young drivers. I don't know you guys' driving experience. I will recommend to both of you, because I didn't do this at your age, if you have any way to take a high-performance driving course, do it. Agreed. I'm, yeah. I'm not in any way, shape, or form claiming you aren't already very solid drivers. Maybe you're fantastic drivers. But do that, because it is a level of car control and awareness that you can't get any other way. Don't wait as long as Paul and I did in life to get in, in, into cars and do that. So especially if you're wanting to be an automotive journalist, Drew, I highly recommend figuring that out. And that will educate you a lot. Um, but th there's two parts of this, I feel like. I, I have some stuff where I talk about old stuff, but I should also acknowledge with old stuff, look, the old stuff isn't as safe. So where's the concern on that? It, should we be concerned? We recommend old stuff. I, I'm not a guy that thinks about that first, but we're talking young drivers again. Sure. So, sure. you know, obviously you get into new stuff. You're talking about a Fiesta ST, the base Golf, this kind of stuff. You got it new. The level of safety in those cars compared to the old stuff is staggering. Yeah. yeah. That, does, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean go, go get something old. I'm going to make two old recommendations right now. I just want to kind of put all the cards on the table and then talk from there. Um, you mentioned you'd like, you're curious about an NC Miata. I think that's a great call. I really do. It's actually my favorite of your newer cars. I have an alternate for you, but it's my favorite of the newer cars because you could get a really nice one for 10 to 15. Sure. The concern yeah. I'm having for you, Jake, is does this – I know this is going to sound weird. Does this car need to run? And, and I, I don't <laughs> say that to be insane, but there's a lot of – well, I say it because of this. There's a lot of old stuff in the family, and you clearly like to wrench on stuff. You've got this this old Jeep you're working on. So my, when I say does it need to run, I mean does this need to have some appliance qualities about it where you never think about this car? You just get in it when you need to. You turn it on, it runs. That's Possibly. what I mean. Good thoughts. Which is Good slightly thoughts. different than it runs most of the time, but I don't mind working on it, which may be acceptable here. But in the it runs all the time, I think that NC Miata does all of the great driving experience stuff you want, and it will run all the time. That's why it's my favorite. The Fiesta ST, especially new, is going to probably hit you pretty hard in insurance. And I think the Golf, while you've liked Golf, let's get you into something different. And I don't think that's enthusiast-focused enough. I actually kind of like the base Golf, but I don't think it's enthusiast-focused enough. So I like the NC Miata. If you're looking at Miatas, though, I'll say this to you. You like unique stuff. Go back a generation. Find yourself a Mazda Speed Miata. Hmm. The Turbo... They're old enough now. I don't know that the insurance is going to hit you too hard. They, they're unique. You don't see very many of them around. People that don't know just see it's a Miata. People that do know know it is a very rare Miata. They are fun. Look at the Mazda Speed. That's the MNB. That's the second gen. The only one they made turbo, but look at that as well as the NC. And then my two old recommendations are, what about a nice 240? Nice Datsun 240. 20 grand, you can find them. Huh. Yeah. You could just, I mean, look, that's, that's classic, classic look, classic interior. We drove one recently. We've got a fast blast of that coming up next year. We drove a really, really nice one uh, from 73. Uh, so it's a very cool car. I mean, it, it's like it was at the time. It's the cheap alternate to the Jaguar E-Type in look, in feel. That's what it is. That's so that's funny. an intriguing yeah. one if you can find one. And then the other one, you said cheap and unique could be worked on. My brain instantly went here. Porsche 914. Oh, They're cheap. Really? But, but the thing about the 914, it's like the unloved one in the Porsche lineup. But yeah, yet, yeah, I agree with that. We've known people that buy them for nothing, don't put a ton of money into them, and wind up with a fun car that is dynamically interesting that you don't see every day. And, you, and the ones you do see, they're either completely awful or surprisingly awesome. I don't feel like I say any, any 914s that are in okay shape. I either see ones that are like, I can't believe that runs anymore, or ones where I can't wait to drive it. It's just that looks amazing. 
that's my cheap, unique, old school choice is the 914. Hmm. I can't call that car beautiful, but, you know, it is a Porsche and okay, so I've got to sort of let it in the door here, but... No, it's not. I mean, it's it's got... You know what? It's related. I hate to say this because now nobody, everybody's going to knock it and get out of their head. It is It is from the same... It's like the earlier styling grandfather of the current Nissan Juke. It has that kind of frog, <laughs> crouched frog. Tell me I'm wrong. It has that kind of oh. crouched frog look oh. to the front end. It is. It's the same kind of world. You're not but wrong, at the same but time, wow. <laughs> and now, And now everybody listening can't get out of your head. I'm sorry. And Jake, I'm sorry too. But here's the thing. The, nine, the thing about the 914 is it's gotten old enough now. That's kind of made that reality a little bit cool. It, it's like, okay, it's classic, it's old school, it's unique. I kind of like the styling as a result. It's not a pretty car, but sure, it's a cool sure. little car, and that's yeah. why I say it. And unique. You won't see them coming and going. They're pretty unique. Nope. nope. And you can say you own a Porsche. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you know. if that's high on your list. But, but, but I really do come back to how much, and, and Drew, you and Jake will have to debate this, how much does a car need to have an appliance, this just runs no matter what I do, demeanor and that's going to walk you away from the older cars but if you're wanting something old that's interesting i mean i I keep coming back to how much jake likes that classic beetle like okay let's follow that train of thought and go to something cool fun rear wheel drive interesting sports car feeling and that's why i wound up where i did all right dig it you're gonna have to let us know drew and jake hope you enjoy uh our suggestions and uh yeah if you're so inclined write to us let us know what you end up getting so uh we'll, we'll be curious but in the meantime, before we move on to car debate number two, you guys are always rating and reviewing the podcast, and please continue to do so. It really mm. helps us yes. moving forward. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, we really like to hear feedback from you. And also, if you have your own car debate, write to us on our website, everydaydriver.com, or the, the email, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. But the rate and review yes, is definitely. something that we haven't called out in a while, and I just wanted to remind everybody that and that's it helps. really I mean, helpful to us. So thank you. You're right. The growth we've seen this calendar year has been almost entirely due to you guys rating and reviewing yeah. and sharing it with others. So we greatly yep. appreciate that. Yep. And it does make a difference. I mean, you may look on it and be like, yeah, they've got plenty of rate, ratings and reviews. But it's the constant flow of them that keeps the podcast uh, high in the ratings, and, and that helps us. So yep. thank you. Yeah, the constant growth. So anyway, moving on to our female writer here. Her name is Nakia, and I I think it's. I think we'll just go with Nokia because that's fair. Um, okay, I'm not sure if we get that wrong. I apologize, but she has been listening to us for over a year. She loves the podcast, and uh, hopefully, this is some additional interesting conversation. But she finally <laughs> wrote in because she's looking for her first serious fun car. Now, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. car that she currently has is a 2013 BMW 328, and you might say, "Well, that's already." kind of a fun car. You're kind of already there, mm-hmm. and she likes it. She's indicated here it's treated her well. She just wants to go forward into something more focused and hardcore. Mm-hmm. So yep. she loves yep. that she has the BMW. It's in manual. Yes, it does. We agree. It qualifies as a fun car. She's limiting me to a $28,000 maximum here. <laughs> <sighs> that that limiter keeps coming up. People are people are not going to be blindsided any longer. That is That's true. Funny to Seems me. like everybody's yeah. caught on to my sneaky ways here, which is funny. <laughs> Your proclivities are out there. So there you go. <laughs> nice. And for those of you drinking, you're welcome. They're uh, way yeah, keep going. there. All right. So yeah, oh, oh, there that's going to be added to the podcast <laughs> drinking game is how many times we can say Waymo. It's, how, it's can we thing. have Waymo proclivities? Anyway, oh, I can't no. even say that. Get oh, through no. it. Okay, yeah, twenty-five grand is is the max is the the budget. Twenty-eight is the max. Uh, she wants manual, four-wheel drive or rear-wheel drive. But the thing is, the BMW is staying. That's what I like about this equation. The BMW is staying. So she's talking about what can I do to just get into something really focused? And she's driven. Pardon the pun. She's driven the Focus and the uh, and the Miata and the Mustang, and has had some interesting breakdowns on what she felt in those cars and why they were. Matches or not matches, and that really informed me. I I just like all of this conversation. I'm excited to find something for her. I am too. I came away with three, and I will okay. say at twenty eight thousand, you've got lots and lots of options. So the good news is sure. there's yeah. a lot of cool options. And she drove an 08 Mustang. She felt like it was uh, not on its toes. She said it feels kind of lunges into corners and become mm. becomes unbalanced pretty easily. But you haven't driven one with the independent rear suspension. And so for 2016, you can get into a Mustang GT 
for right about 28K. I found you one with 5,000 miles on it, if that interests you. Mm-hmm. And I'm keep in mind, Nakia, that all of my choices here are going to tie into your last paragraph that I want to cover mm. and, and touch on. And it's because too, she yeah. says I'm female and she, she enjoys going to the cars and coffee and other car events. But we'll get there. So keep in mind yeah. there's three choices for you. All right. So the Mustang, you could get into that. And maybe you should go try it just to feel the difference with that independent rear suspension. And mm-hmm. the car is quite different. Uh, we know Thomas uh, loves loves the one he drove. But uh, yeah. we'll have to uh, wait for his uh, his video on that. Moving on to the Nissan 370Z, mm-hmm. 2015 or 2016, yeah. that definitely qualifies as a more hardcore focused sports car, also $28,000 right in the sweet spot with very low miles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then I had to, I, I've got to play the Porsche card here. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here really not shocked, but you're not shocked. Yeah. Nakia, I sold my 2007 Porsche Cayman S. For twenty nine thousand, and so I went looking, and you can get an 07, an 08, or an 09 mm-hmm. Cayman S for twenty eight thousand or less. There's lots mm-hmm. and lots of them in that price range, some for pretty low miles, and that definitely qualifies. You could have a Porsche yeah. and a BMW in the garage. <laughs> Hello. Stop. I mean, yeah, that that's a great garage. No matter who you are, that's, that's a great that's garage. A, and I can't, I can't argue the Cayman <laughs> choice. I knew you'd go there. I can't argue that. I do, I do. See I mean, that. it, it was just sort of teed up. I mean, I had to whack it yeah. into the outfield because, you know, it was just so such you know low hanging fruit. I, I can't ignore that. And it seems mm-hmm. like you're in a place where you're ready for it. You appreciate the dynamics that we talk about so much, and, yeah, girls in hot cars really, you know really do it for me so yeah. that's why i also, yeah. also suggest that i mean it's typical you only see guys driving caymans and that's a fair point I'd, yeah i'd love it so that's that's my big well, you sell know, you, you make an interesting point there actually because you do typically and this is it's going to sound like a stereotype but it's the thing that i see you see women typically in boxsters you rarely see a woman in a cayman that's a right. very interesting point right you're right so that is that is interesting, and and you're right. It can't be denied. And if she wants a convertible, hey, the Boxster is available too. I mean, sure. I, I didn't go there because I kind of knew you would, and and it's you're right to you're right. That to. Not much just because you like conclusion. <sighs> no, but no, because here's the thing. I came to it too for the same reasons you did. It's just I knew you'd beat me to it. Okay, <laughs> All but good. It, but All it's good. not like it's not like you listed Porsche because it because you just like Porsche. No, it 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 works here. There's no question that it does. It's a genuine. I option. want to follow through the three cars that she drove and what she felt, and <clears> and then how that launched me off into one recommendation, okay? Okay. She drove the Ford Focus, which she liked, but she felt like, and I'm guessing you're out there pushing it hard, she felt like it understeered a lot more than she wanted it to. Now, you're coming out of a rear-wheel drive BMW that you like, and you've gotten to a place where it's not dynamic enough. You got into the Ford Focus, and you were aware of the front-wheel drive chassis and some understeer there. Okay. You drove the Miata, and you loved it, and you love the fact that it's underpowered enough that you could just it. Didn't have to come off the gas very far. Lots of speed maintenance. That's how a Miata likes to be driven. But you kept thinking, hmm, you don't know that you're in love with that car or in love with the styling, so you're kind of cautious. And then Paul already covered the Mustang. It felt like it kind of lurched and lunged and wasn't as, as dynamic as you wanted. I do agree with your point. It's worth driving the new one. The 370 can't be ignored. But all of those, there's a comment in here about how you have this budget and you're excited to have a car that you can just be in love with the styling, love to drive, and then maybe over time make it more hardcore. And I just thought, wait a minute, FRS or BRZ? Yeah. Because it's the thing she likes about the Miata. It's the car that you buy it initially, and you will think this can use more power. But dynamically and balance-wise, it's great. You could buy one for seventeen grand. okay? Now you're way under budget, but then you can decide what do you want to do. Now, first off, I'm going to say it to you, tires. But then yeah. you can decide what do you want to do. How hardcore do you want to make that car? Look, maybe you really start drinking the Kool-Aid and you decide to go to track days. You make it into your track car. You start stripping out the interior. You could <laughs> because you still have the BMW. It's a $17,000 car. Do you want to do forced induction? Do you want to just get it, get it tuned, which is what I did, and it's surprising what just a tune does to that car. So I think if what you're looking for is a car that can be affordable, 
hardcore and maybe go more hardcore, I feel like that's a fantastic starting place because I think you can pull up to a Cars and Coffee in an FRS BRZ and you can start a conversation. And that's where it gets us to this other part of the conversation that you've asked about doing that. That's an interesting conversation starting piece for a girl to drive, as are a lot of these other cars. I mean, look, the Cayman, the 370Z, these are good cars to talk about. But if you had an FRS that you were slowly turning more and more into a track car, talk about a conversation starter. Totally. And yeah. the BMW gets to be your nice car. You don't have to worry about, hey, the FRS is loud. Guess what? It's loud. Who cares? Chuck it down a back road. I'm going to stay right there, and then I want to talk about her question about <laughs> – this is weird – but how to be a girl at a mostly guys car event. And I do have some thoughts here. Not being a girl, I can't really speak to it, but I'm going to try. So uh, that's some good questions. But that's, I'm going to just say FRS BRZ, go drive that. Paul's got great recommendations, but go drive that too. Uh, I like yours too. Nuck is asking here about going to cars and coffee or car events in general. And she says, it's hard for a woman to be able to talk cars with a man. Men just go to the meets and they walk up to another guy's car and they just start talking about it. But she feels that as a woman, if she tries to do it, she's dismissed in general. Mm. Now, again, yeah. she acknowledges we are not women, but she's asking a little <laughs> bit about yeah. <laughs> a little bit about some advice to integrate or gel with the community. Mm -hmm. Even some women, you know, some some girls, you know, women that we know that are in this community and overcome this barrier. Yeah. I would say a, a couple things, Nakia, and that is if you roll up in something unique and hot, like a track-prepped FRS, well, that's <laughs> unique and different and, as Todd said, yeah. rather good conversation starter or yeah. something hot like a Cayman S, they're going to yeah. come up yeah, yeah. to you. The guys are going to come up to you and, and kind of wonder what's what's your story. You're Are you a driver? Mm -hmm. Are you a race car driver? Like, you know, how how come you're driving this particular car? I never expected this. But mm -hmm. if you know something about their car that they don't, like an obscure trim package or like the differences <laughs> that Todd talks about, you know, the 335 IS, which is a rare car and it's turbo overboost feature that gives it actually more torque than an M3, things like that, that yeah. would take them by surprise or some engine code or a transmission type. And you just ask them about, hey, does that car have the da-da-da transmission type in it? Well, no, it's got this other – wait, how did you know to ask that? And boom, you're off mm. to the races. You've got a conversation instantly. So the the respect will instantly be there. Again, if you know something they don't about their car and you just casually throw that out there, even if they know it, well, great. You, they've, uh, they're giving you respect instantly because you know that thing, whatever that is. Now, of course, that means you know immersing yourselves in the car world and knowing stuff like that. But – I, I think it comes easily to you because you're so interested in it, which is great. Mm, fair, but just fair, by fair. virtue of the car choice alone, if it is unique, a little bit different, a little bit, huh, I, why, why that car? You might actually get the guys coming over to you to say, great car. Possibly. Tell me the Possibly. story. Why do you yeah. – how did you come yeah. to have this car in your life? Whatever that is. And they just might come to you. I know I'd probably do that if I saw a female with some interesting car from a – Sure. You yeah. name it. I'd just kind of be like, wow, this is great. What, you know, you're a driver. What's, tell me the story. I'm, I'm just curious. This is cool. So that, that might be helpful. There's some, there's some good stuff in there. I like that. I also, <clears throat> Nakia, I want to take you down a, a couple of thoughts that I have here. Uh, I, first, I want to talk about a woman we know named Diane. Okay. And if you watch our 50 years of 9-11 film, she happens to own the 997 in that film. Okay. And what's interesting about Diane is she bought it having not really had a performance car before. But the more we talked to her, the more we realized she really knew her car and she really used her car. And yeah. when I say used it, this is a woman who took her kids to school in her 911, picked up mulch to do gardening, and also tracked it. Okay? So that's the story of Diane. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Now I want to take a little side note and I want to be candid. Um, yeah, men are big, dumb idiots, okay? We're, we're just <laughs> yeah. big goofballs with egos. Right. So what happens at a car show, this is what you've got to be careful about. Knowing stuff about a guy's car is good, but you've got to pick your moment, okay? Because what the, when you walk up to a bunch of guys talking about cars, you've instantly changed the dynamic. I realize this isn't fair. I, I, I know it's not fair, but it's true. 
okay? Five guys sitting around talking about a car. A girl walks up. At least one of the guys in that group is now going to try to somehow show off because he's the coolest guy in the group just because a girl walked up. It happens every time. We're big, dumb idiots. We are. So I'm sorry about that. I'm apologizing on behalf of my entire species. Uh, but, yeah, this is true. So, so know this. But I would say you are, you're safe to walk up to a guy and say, hey, cool car. And just see how he responds. Some of them might not respond well. Some of them may trip over themselves. Some of them may throw something back at you as if, well, yeah, I know about it and you don't. Now that's your opportunity to drop a piece about, I know a little bit of something as well. So you got to pick your moment. The other thing I would say that can never go wrong, and this is back to Diane. One of the things that made her so endearing, and other women I've met that are really into cars, is not talking about other people's cars, but talking about their car and the fact that they use their car. If the same person pulls in, and I'll, look, take anybody. Take a guy pulls up, okay, in a brand new M2. I can tell in one paragraph of conversation with him if he's going to drive that car hard or he bought it because of the badge. Hmm. This sure. is the conversation you can now have on the other side because there will be those guys, again, big dumb idiots, that are going to assume, oh, a girl came to a car show because she thinks cars are cool. That you know, probably doesn't know anything about it. There will be those guys that will assume that. They're wrong. But if you make a comment about, like Diane says, here's all the ways I use my car. And in there, besides the school run and the mulch, is the track day. Instantly, I'm impressed. Instantly, I'm now, you're a car person. So if you were to tell a guy at a car show, you wound up with, I'm just following the rabbit trail here, an FRS because of what you told us. I felt the focus understeered too much. I liked the Miata, but I didn't like the styling enough. I didn't think the Mustang was small and agile enough, so I bought an FRS. That conversation right now, you have me. I am listening. Sure. And I'm telling you, if you have those kind of conversations about your experience in your car, that is a way in as well. So hopefully that's helpful in there somewhere. I, I think that's great. You've got some really fine-tuned stuff in there. So that's, that's great, actually. And, you know, if all else fails, carry mulch in your car and then go to the track. That's the other key. Yeah. Exactly. That is a, also a great conversation that's, starter. That's, that's the takeaway. That's the takeaway of this, of this track. Uh, <laughs> it could be a conversation way, ender, you know what? though. <laughs> I'm going to go further. Carry Waymo mulch in your car of and go course. to the track. There, I've done it. I've done it. We have so many Waymo Facebook questions to answer oh, here gosh. that are really great. It's awful. It's We've, awful. Uh, Somebody out there has drunk themselves into a stupor <laughs> on this podcast alone. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to you and your family. Anyway, yes. <laughs> and your whole family. Anybody around you. There's so many great ones. Thank you guys, as always, for, uh, for writing in. Excellent questions. We'll try to get through a few of them here. And to start with, I'd like to talk about Bruce Irvine's question. <clears throat> he asks about chassis tuning. He says, can you explain chassis tuning and how do you feel it? And I will do this as quickly as I can because this is a very long conversation and everybody has their own opinion on tips and tricks, but it comes down to your particular use. What are you tuning the car for? That's mm, where mm, the fair. mindset starts out. Are you autocrossing? Are you rallying? Are you track driving, racing, all those kinds of things? What's the use for your car? The first one is very easy, wheels and tires. You're going to feel a difference just by low profile tires alone and more grip. You're, you're just instantly going to feel that. Now, you can get into specifics like yeah. alignment, yeah. camber and caster, and tuning more for you know a, a sharp handling, something that's going to chew through your tires, but it's going to give me the response that I want. Mm -hmm. Then you can start to go further in suspension when you go stiffer shocks and springs, anti-roll bars, drop links, which are the... Where, where the anti-roll bar is attached to the unsprung part of the suspension. So it allows the suspension to still flex, but it moves in an arc. And just tiny mm -hmm. adjustments can make huge differences in what the car does. And there's some tuning shops that really know their stuff and they're set up to, you know, they, they know the car and they know how to set it up for sure, a particular sure. way. And they are far different than, than stock. There's other shops mm -hmm. that, you know, don't really know what they're doing and they're just kind of throwing parts at it. But it's always a different recipe. So, yeah, the higher-end shops, you get what you pay for, and they're, they're putting on specific parts. And then when you, you see the stage one tuning, stage two, stage three, mm -hmm. those are standardized recipes that are generally, this is good, it does this better, and you will feel this much more performance. And we can quantify that and sell it to you at this price, whether it's sure. Dynan Engineering or well, you know, and Porsche Tuner or whatever. 
Yeah, and I think you've, you've touched on something else as well. When somebody gets into tuning a car or a company gets into tuning a car, nine times out of ten, what they're really doing is figuring out how to give it more power. Because once right. you start screwing with the setup of the suspension and, the, and all of that, this is hard. I mean, the main thing I want to say about chassis tuning is, no, I don't know much. Yeah, I, yeah. I know what feels good, but the, you can spend entire careers doing this. Why does Lotus have a side business just dealing with chassis setup and, and tuning and handling of a car? Because they've got boffins over there. That's the right word because they're British. They've got boffins <laughs> over there that know how to do it right. But you've got to have a gift for it, and you've got to have a lot of understanding. There's so Paul's touched on it. There's so many little variables that change the way a car responds. I want to go. I want to go like god's eye view on this for a second versus the minutia and say this the way to tell it is the difference between a 1970s american boat of a car and a current miata or a current frs or porsche or something like that the difference in those two different chassis and the way they're tuned is a target audience and b how does the body respond when you make an input and Generally, I would say the chassis tuning, or when I talk about this, this is a good chassis, or it feels really good in handling, it's because I can feel the car directly respond quickly to the inputs that I'm giving it. But if you're driving a huge boat across country, you don't need that. You want it to soak up all the bumps and, oh, are we going 70? Oh, I didn't even know. <laughs> oh, was that a pothole? No, we hit a deer. I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> exactly. That, that's fine. That's fine if you're driving cross country. It's terrible on a back road or a track situation. So what are you doing? Those two chassis are set up differently, besides the fact that in the 70s stuff was boats. But you follow my point here. An S-Class needs to, to feel different than the FRS does. But I'm a guy that I like to feel like there's no slop at all. And that can be very hard in all kinds of cars for people to engineer the slop or the delay out of a chassis, out of a out of running gear. And that's where the real fine tuning comes in. Yeah, that's excellent. Excellent way of looking at it. So yeah, Bruce, hope that helps. And uh, yeah, I'm curious as to kind of what you're looking to tune something for. But, uh, but yeah, it's just kind of different, different uses, but um, it's a recipe. It's like making souffle. You hope it doesn't fall. And it's hard <laughs> to make. Souffle is hard to make. And I'm no chef. I'm good at toast. Okay. So Leave me wow, alone. well done. Yeah. Yeah, you need to do way more cooking. Uh, anyway, so. <laughs> you work too hard. Jumping on that off one. of the tuning. Yeah, I'm beating on it. Jumping off of that one, I, I want to talk about Greg, who wrote in and said, uh, Will you guys ever drive Chance's Mustang? Wanted to answer this because it's a quick answer. Yes, when he finishes it. <laughs> Chance. He's calling you out. I thought that was really yep, funny. Pretty actually. much. <laughs> pretty much. Well, and I'm not going to tell the entire story, but there was a funny thing that Chance sent us this week because, of course, we all have the disease. We all share the same disease, and we send each other random cars we find online. Chance sent one this week that we all drooled on. He could technically afford it. He showed it to his wife, who is also a huge car person. I mean, come on. She drives a Boxster. She loves cars. And she gave him the ultimate wife response. <laughs> I, I love this so much. <laughs> She said, you have to get the Mustang running first, which I loved. I, oh. I, I just, I'm still applauding her for that. You yeah, can buy no it, kidding. but you have to get the Mustang running first. I thought, yep, that, you know what? That's fair. So when it's running, uh, then uh, we will happily drive that on camera, Greg. I think it'd be really cool. Uh, so we'd love to. Jordan Robinson wrote in with a question that I liked, and we've touched on this before, but he's asking about the best year for a given manufacturer I want to go best decade for manufacturers. And his example is, wow, okay. you know, like 1988 Toyota had the supercharged MR2, the Turbo Supra, Turbo all-wheel drive Celica, uh, Super Bass Cressida, and what else? A GTS Corolla hatchback. Yeah, I, th I think the 80s and 90s were the two decades that Japanese cars kind of mm, blew sure. everybody else away. I mean, the Germans had great cars, of course, but... I feel like that was the the highlight years. I mean, we can name the Acura NSX and the Honda mm -hmm. S two thousand. Sure. And, sure. You know, Mitsubishi was hot. I mean, with all their Evo generations and yeah, just all the stuff. I mean, name the manufacturer. Mazda had the rotary, the RX sevens. Mm -hmm. So I mm -hmm. feel like those are the decades, and I think maybe they've gone too far into just wanting to make money through the bread and butter kind of sales cars. And they've forgotten about all the halo cars that made us love the brands. 
Well, so, or people won't buy them, so they can't make them. But I take your point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's going to be hard for me to say what decade was best for Porsche. You know, hmm. Oh no! Stop! <laughs> stop! But you know, yeah. gosh, even BMW, Mercedes. I feel like Mercedes had a, a terrible decade through the aughts, the two thousand mm. to twenty ten. I didn't like any of them. They're starting to come back, yeah. but. We get the question, why did you recommend Mercedes-Benz's more often? We love them. They're very expensive, and they don't fall into the, hey, lightweight, nimble kind of category that we liken Porsches and BMWs to. They really do kind of serve a different audience, even though they're great cars. We're very impressed by the newer ones. They handle far better well, and drive far better than we Then we also we have thought. the problem of... I'm looking for a manual transmission. Okay, Mercedes is out. Well, yeah. Uh, you yeah. also have that problem. Yeah, keep Very going. true, very true. I mean, man, what if Mercedes did something like that, even with AMG, even if it were still expensive, but it was a manual transmission, yeah. very yeah, driver-focused, yeah. but that would kind of get away from the brand that they have crafted, carefully crafted for themselves. Well, and, and look, look, Ferrari's left manuals. Everybody's leaving manuals. I mean, the truth is if Mercedes offered one, nobody would probably buy it. That's, right. that's the terrible thing about it. Right. Probably just wouldn't happen. You know, when, when he asked this question, I didn't have an answer. And now that I'm pondering, I have one. I'm wondering if it almost feels like a cop-out, but I don't mean it to. This just dawned on me. I'm wondering if this year, 2016 counts for Ford. You've got the okay. GT. Okay. You've got the GT350 and 350R. I'm just stepping down in price. You've got the Mustang GT, worthwhile. EcoBoost Mustang, even halfway decent. Ford Focus RS, Ford Focus ST, Fiesta ST. What's your budget? Ford has it now. They've got something performance-oriented for you at, at yes. all price and, ranges. And, and, it, and if you look at reviews of those cars, it's not like any of those performance cars I've listed the possible exception being the EcoBoost Mustang, but people are tuning them into monsters. The, the thing is, all of those cars have gotten good reviews. So it's not like, you know, mm -hmm. I'm recommending one of their performance cars that, well, it's one of their performance cars, but it's not really that good. No, they're all good. What's your budget? What are you looking for? That's kind of shocking. And I think it's happening right now at Ford. Yeah, Cadillac kind of rose, you know, and, and they're good. But, you know, they kind of came really a, way back and, uh, you know, perfected their arc and line styling and really defined their brand and they're, they're good. It just, you know, Cadillac mm -hmm. had their time and, you know, Ford rose and, you know, but I'm just talking about the... Chevy and having some nimble performance car to match Ford, you know, something like that. That was... Well, no, GM has got some great stuff. They've got some great stuff, but they don't have the breadth uh, in their lineup that I think Ford does right now. That's the thing. The breadth in just in, in cost. And mm -hmm. I think you're right. I think the Japanese did it very, very well in the 90s. Uh, you know, look at the oh, look yeah. at Honda. Oh, when yeah. when Honda was making the the great Civics of the 90s, oh, my the gosh, Integras, yeah. the, uh, the S2000 and the NSX, this is the Honda lineup. That's Honda doing what I feel Ford's doing right now. Yeah. That's craziness. That's just craziness. But anyway, I hadn't. I, the more I think about that, the more interesting that question gets. Yeah. Um, yeah. Eric cool. Eric wrote in as well. Eric wrote in and said, uh, "Okay, he, this is a discuss question. I think you and I may be opposite on this. I'm curious. What would we prefer? A car that is a class above us, better than our skill as a driver, that we have to kind of learn and approach, or something you can exploit the limits of fairly easily." And just just hoon it because it's at your skill level or below. Which would you prefer? Huh. I think both for different reasons. I know that sounds like a cop-out, but I think it would depend on my mood. If it's just, hey, let's get squirrely and go, you know, have a relaxing afternoon. But mm -hmm. I like the appeal of having a car that demands more of you and you're learning. Because yeah. if you're driving something you know, that's just for fun and you can extract the most performance out of it you're just having fun but are you learning are you continuing to grow your skill or are you applying all the skill that you know onto the car and just having a ball of fun but then mm. you know when you do have the opportunity to drive cars that do demand whether it's power or handling or whatever mostly power i suppose but yeah. you know yeah. something that is a little bit daunting and makes you pay attention and perk up and it's not all the time, I'd say, you know, maybe once in a while. And, you know, it's probably definitely in the hotter, exotic, more expensive category. I think people drive those cars also because they don't want to ding them because they are so expensive. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, 
I like the learning part of it. I always like to be constantly improving and sharpening, and so that appeals to me, but not constantly. I do like the just, yeah, you know what, that. let's just go burn the tires off a of Miata and have fun and drive it hard, and, you know, it's just loads of fun. I see, kind of I see your logic there. I do see your logic <laughs> there. I actually am going to go with I want the car I can exploit all of right now. I, if I if I have the choice of the two, if I have to make a one or the other, I'm going to go with the one that I can ring all of everything it's got out regularly. Because I feel like as a driver, I can now get to a place where I'm actually finding the edges of a car in a place that is not light speed. And then there's still stuff to learn. Because once you start reaching the outer edges of something, where does it break away? Where is it too much? That's that's now you're 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 learning at the bleeding edge of what the car can do. And I think there's a real satisfaction level in being able to make a car that shouldn't be able to do that and shouldn't be that quick, make it do it anyway. Hmm. And that intrigues the heck out of me. And when I have those moments in a car where I feel like I'm actually ringing this thing out right now, I love that as a driver. And I feel like I, I kind of surprise myself. Whereas I get into something that is enormous and I know is far beyond my skill and I realize I'm either boring the car or I'm probably going to get myself in trouble. Hmm. I love it. I love trying it. But if I was going to pick one, give me, give me the Miata that I know I can just murder because I will have a blast and I will learn because I'm on the, the outer, to, to go with pilot terms, on the outer edge of the performance envelope. And and what am I learning there? That would be my choice. I can see that. I can see that. Huh. Yeah, I I, I, I think both are valid. I, I think both are valid for, for different reasons. But I, I – uh... Yeah, I'm kind of both on that question. It's hard for me to go one way or the other, really. I see that. But that's why the question's fun. <laughs> it is fun. What other questions? Well, I take your point. Anything else uh, before we wrap uh, up? I had one other that I, that I had, to, had to acknowledge, and that is Kyle Marley said, what's the most confidence-inspiring car you've driven? And I really thought about this because there's been a lot of them that I have been – coming off the last question, it's very appropriate. There's been a lot of them that I've been surprised by how well they carry speed, how easy they are to drive – Look, I, I love the FRS for this reason. I'm sorry, I feel like I beat on that car tonight, but I do love it. It's a car that I find very confidence-inspiring. So is a Fiesta ST. A lot of our greatest hits is because they're confidence-inspiring. But in a hat tip to you, Paul, I think the answer to this question may be your GTS. Really? Honestly. Really? Honestly. Because when I drive that car, I am simultaneously aware. This is why this links so good, so well to Eric's question we just talked about. I am simultaneously aware when I drive that car of two realities coexisting, and it's rare for them to coexist, I am aware that I am not concerned about the car getting away from me. It's wickedly powerful. I'm not concerned about it getting away from me. I don't feel the least bit like, oh, this car is scary at all. And yet I know that the levels are so much higher than I'm going to be able to achieve in most cases that I'm also so incredibly far within everything it can do and still having fun. Hmm. Your car is astonishing for that. I, I'm I'm always surprised. It's one of those cars that every time I drive it, I look down and I go, I'm going 20 miles an hour faster than I thought I was just now. <laughs> is, and, that, and it's, is this and thing it's, lying and to it's, me? <laughs> and it's never from the demeanor of, let's see how fast I go around this corner. It's just, this is how confident this car feels around this corner. That feels about the right speed. Look down and go, oh, my gosh, how how when did that happen? That is a crazy thing about your GTS. Um, I mean, I felt similar in, in the GT3, for example, incredibly confidence-inspiring, but I knew I was barely touching the GT3. Yeah. The GTS, I feel like I'm actually using a portion of it. There's plenty more left, and it's very confidence-inspiring where I'm using it. That, yeah. i got to say that. I, I'm kind of with you. I mean, it sounds like... <laughs> I, it sounds ridiculous. Look, it sounds I, mean, ridiculous. I loved um, the, the McLaren that we drove was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, it was the bigger, better good. Lotus Elise. I loved that one. That one was unbelievable to drive. Incredibly confidence inspiring. These big cars are awesome. It's just the the there was no there's no fear in the GTS, which is probably a bad thing. But That's there's just no fear plate. in that car. Great yeah. license plate for that car. Yeah. For better or worse, especially when that license plate is found crumpled in the ditch off an apex. <laughs> That's when it's really bad. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm bringing it back. I'm right. coming back. Around. Okay, all right. You brought it way back. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm with you. I like the Avora for that reason. It felt pretty planted and stable. Things oh, I agree that with are, that, yeah. That do the speed thing really well. I keep saying that, but high-speed stuff. Um, 
yeah, there's plenty of cars that are squirrely and fun, like the Alpha 4C, but I don't get the, I'm super confident in this car. There's there's little things that are, you know, needly like, ooh, I didn't know it was going to do that kind of mm-hmm. kind of things. Well, it's funny fun. you bring up the 4C versus the Evora, because the Evora is one of those cars that when the back starts to slide around, I just counter steer and keep going. The 4C is one of those cars where the back starts to come around. I wonder if this might be my life flashing before my eyes. That's <laughs> so, the difference between those two cars doing? right what, there. Why are you coming around? Yeah. What, what are you doing back there? Exactly. What, what are you doing? Why is this a surprise? <laughs> are we yeah. going to get this back? The Avora, it's like, oh, look, the back's coming out. Hey, that was fun. Let's keep going. That's yeah. the Avora by, by comparison. Very interesting. Funny. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening, for following along. We really, really appreciate your support. And as I said before, if you have your own car debate, please write to us. But we are always uh, really thinking of you and and, uh, happy to spend your money. We've got the Icon film. (laughs) If you have not yet gotten your holiday gifts, your Christmas gifts, Icon film. And that is available for rent or download on Vimeo. And And they're shipping. Blu-rays are out the the door. They're out the door, folks. By the time you're hearing this, Blu-rays are in the mail headed to you if you've ordered one. So good news there. Yep, yep. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, Really appreciate it, as always. And uh, hope you have a great weekend. Cheers, everyone.